Nayanam Galadasrudaraya, Vadadam Gadada Rudaragira, Pulakarni Chitamba Pukada, Tavanama Grahaneva Vishati. In this verse, Sri Gaurasundar prays for the ecstatic transformations known as Sattvika Bhavas, which are characteristic of Bhava Bhakti. Sattvika Bhavas are involuntary bodily transformations resulting from spiritual emotion, and they are eight in number, paralysis, tears, perspiration, change of color, fainting, horripilation, trembling, and stammering. These involuntary symptoms are common when they manifest as a result of material emotions, such as fear or sadness, but uncommon when they manifest as a result of singing the name of Krishna in Sankirtan. Such an occurrence signals the beginning of a life of eternal spiritual emotion in which one's mind is saturated with bhava. We notice, starting with the fourth verse, that Sri Chaitanya is he's now at a stage of pleading with the Holy Name, with the Supreme Lord, O Son of Maharaj Nanda Krishna. Please pick me up from this ocean of death. And then in this verse, when my eyes be decorated with tears of love, when I chant your holy name, when my voice choke up, when the hairs of my body stand on end at the recitation of your name. The mood is changing to more of a prayerful mood. I want to experience my spiritual life. It's interesting because there's no way for the living entity who is by nature a seeker of pleasure, to go to a higher, higher plane of existence that is devoid of that which is most satisfying to the living entity, which is everyone's seeking pleasure at every moment. So on the material plane, we seek pleasure externally. We seek pleasure with the senses, with the satisfaction of the senses, both gross satisfaction and subtle satisfaction, from both the knowledge-acquiring senses and the working senses. We are seeking pleasure. There's no way for the living entity to elevate himself to a higher plane of existence unless that higher plane is also full of pleasure, ananda. That's our nature. We seek ananda. We're ananda. Krishna is the, is the supreme enjoyer. We're his fragmental parts and parcel. We're meant to enjoy. The problem is we're looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> we're seeking our enjoyment in the wrong level of enjoyment, the wrong plane. So here Lord Chaitanya is giving us a glimpse of proper seeking of enjoyment. He's crying out. First he cries out in the fifth verse, how have I fallen into this plane of miserable material enjoyment where the enjoyment is temporary, where the enjoyment lasts for some time and then is taken away? It's not the kind of enjoyment I want. Please pick me up from this ocean of, it's really suffering. It's, it's not eternal. 
It's not spiritual. It's a flickering enjoyment. Chanchala. Very flickering. Here one day and gone the next. Here one moment and gone the next. Hmm? Like fireworks. Yeah, like fireworks. <laughs> Archie particularly likes fireworks. For its very nature, she has difficulty with it. It's there and then poof, <laughs> the sky's dark again. That's the way our enjoyment is in the material world. Poof, then it's dark again. <laughs> huh? Lord Chaitanya's seeking that next level of enjoyment. And he's begging first, Get me out of this love. Son of Maharaj Nanda Krishna, please pick me up. Place me again as an atom at your lotus feet. And then he goes on in this verse, when can I taste spiritual emotion by chanting the holy name? Can you give that to me so that, because I need to experience a higher level of enjoyment to give up this lower enjoyment. My nature is enjoying Unless you give me this enjoyment by the chanting of your holy name, what's to, what is to pull me on to the spiritual plane of my existence? I need tears of love to flow from my eyes. I need, I need to feel this spiritual emotion if there is any hope for me to come to spiritual life. I need this. He's pleading with Krishna. Please, when I chant, let the tears come. Let the hair stand on end. Let my voice falter that I can't even pronounce the name properly. And in that way, I'll know my spiritual prospect. If you don't give me this spiritual emotion, how will I know my spiritual prospect? We need to chant with this aspiration. Otherwise, it'll just become humdrum. We'll chant for some time, we'll become bored. Maybe five, ten years, twenty years, maybe one lifetime. But if we don't push ourselves on to the platform of, of spiritual emotion by full dedication, by full surrender, if we don't do that, there's every possibility. Our, our, we'll not be coming to the to the platform that will dry up our desire to enjoy on this plane of material existence. We'll remain on the lowest level of devotional practice. There's three planes of devotional practice, broad planes. Kanista, very prakrita, mixed devotional service, only seeing God in the temple, kind of like Standard religion, more or less. Hmm? Then there's majjam. Majjam means that we, we rise above the platform of just seeing God in the temple and we start to see the prospect of our spiritual life and particularly we start to see that in the association of Krishna's devotees. That's characteristic of majjam adhikari. A real appreciation for those who are like ourselves in seeking spiritual aspiration. And we start to develop a compassion for those that are lacking that spiritual enjoyment. Very hard 
to become enthusiastic to spread Krishna consciousness to everyone until you're fully tasting Krishna consciousness. It's not hard for one to invite someone to one of Archie's Sunday feasts if they've experienced them. Is it? No. It's very, you got to come. This food is great. Atmosphere is great. The company is great. You can eat as much as you want. Stay as long as you want. It's very satisfying. That's different than inviting someone when you've never come yourself. When you've never actually tasted. Isn't it? So similarly in spiritual life. We can't stay on the material platform. We must come to the spiritual stage. And we must taste the pleasure of chanting Krishna's name. The pleasure of this wonderful philosophy. We must come to that platform. Then we can be effective in spreading Krishna consciousness. Then we can talk about it with some, yeah, you want to chant Hare Krishna. This is good stuff. Huh? Until you're tasting Krishna's name, until you're appreciating the process of devotional service, until tears are filling your eyes, your hairs are standing on end, you're trembling, you can, your voice is faltering. All these different symptoms, sattvika bhavas, sattvika bhava means you don't even have control of it. We have to pursue spiritual life to come to the spiritual plane. Otherwise, it's simply religiosity. And it's not going to satisfy the soul. All the philosophy in the world will not replace a glimpse of Krishna's lotus feet. Tears coming to our eyes when we hear about Krishna's qualities. Uh, what, there was Manya and Uttama is madly in love with Krishna. Uttama is madly in love. So madly in love, he doesn't see anybody not in love with Krishna. He can't even preach. <laughs> Everybody's like, what is this drug they take? Some drug? Ecstasy? They're in love with trees and whatever. I don't know. I've never taken it. But, uh, an Uttama Adhikari on the spiritual plane, he's in love with everybody. He can't even preach. He sees everybody as, as madly in love with Krishna as he's in love with Krishna. In fact, they're in love and he's not in love with Krishna. Look, everybody's loving Krishna but me. Oh, woe is me. And he's crying in ecstasy. From that plane, in order to preach on this plane, one needs to come down to the Madhyam platform. Not possible for the Uttama to preach in his natural state of transcendental ecstasy. Any questions? Yes, sir. So it sounds like, uh, well, <clears throat> you know, that we need to get uh, something higher to reject the lower thing. But, uh, you know, if we practice our devotional life with this motivation of, you know, getting some higher enjoyment, it doesn't look like this is uh, unmotivated anymore. It's spiritually motivated. It's not materially motivated. Krishna's giving it, Lord Chaitanya's setting the example. I want spiritual advancement. That's okay. Nothing wanting, nothing wrong with wanting to advance in spiritual life. 
You will come to a platform beyond that wanting, yes. That's spoken of later, both in the verses of Successicum, on the very, very highest platform. There will come a stage where, where aspiration for spiritual perfection will itself be dwarfed by loving exchange. But until you're at that plane, don't try to jump there artificially. Better we aspire to to make firm spiritual advancement so that we're enjoying our spiritual life. Then, Lord Chaitanya is giving us an example here. Yeah, but uh, it, to me it sounds like you know the focus should be on the progress, not so much on experiencing the enjoyment. You know, from, from spiritual. Yes, life. yes. So that's that's you know this is the distinction which which we need to be careful to, to make all, all the time that we don't want to enjoy our spiritual life or we don't want to enjoy Krishna. No, it's not in an exploitive way at all. You're correct. We're not wanting to exploit, but we want to we want to come into our spiritual constitutional position. It's by nature eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. That's our nature. But yes, it's a good point you're making that we're not we're not seeking that independently. We're seeking to become spiritual. We, how can we exchange love with Krishna on the ecstatic, emotional, loving platform unless we're on that platform? So we're seeking it, but you're right. We are seeking it in order that we can exchange those loving emotions with the Lord. That's a very good point you're making. Yes, ma'am. Um, they did talk about a lot about that at the Japan retreat and trying to like squeeze it squeeze it out, you know, like with our own force, we're going to, like, make these emotions happen, and we're going to, like, but, um, then, like, one kind of slogan that came out of it was, do your best, let Krishna do the rest. So we come to it a certain part in Krishna. Anything else? I take it this, uh, love or this affection shouldn't come by force, it's more of a gradual process, is it not? That's what Archie's saying, yes. It's a gradual process. But it's an aspiration. We need to love Krishna on Krishna's terms. These emotions that are spoken of are the terms of loving exchange that Krishna has with his devotees. He doesn't enjoy on the material plane. His enjoyment is entirely on the spiritual plane. So if we're going to exchange service and enjoyment with the Lord, we need to do it in His field of activity. Eternal, eternal existence full of knowledge and bliss. On to Bhagavad Gita's introduction. Vajana Trimanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshurun Militanyena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. Born in the darkness of ignorance, but by spiritual masters opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So I'm just going to touch on highlights of this introduction, try to bring out some points. Beginning here, Prabhupada first speaks of material consciousness, material existence, Everyone, everything revolves around ourselves on this plane. And then Prabhupada tries to give us a proper perspective of the fact that we need to see what our actual position is in the whole scheme of things. Some nice analogies are giving there. If you want to 
nourish a tree, you pour, pour, pour water on the roots. Pouring water on the leaves and the branches is not, not going to be as productive. The tree is one complete unit. We are also one with the Supreme Lord. He has different energies and we are one of those shaktis, one of those energies. If we please the Supreme Lord, if we give service to the Lord and, and he's satisfied with that service, that's like watering the root of the tree. And then the tree will grow. Then the tree is, is, is complete. Similarly with the body. Every day we take nourishment. Well, if we simply played with our food, like the kids... Little baby will play with its food. Baby can play with the food, but the mother's got to put it in the mouth and the kid's going to not grow up <laughs> Kids content to play with the food. It's kind of like us in the material world. We're content to play with the food. Ah, look, I'm playing with the food. Yeah, well, but if you're not feeding the mouth, which is going down and feeding the stomach and turning the food into energy, which can sustain the body, then eventually the body will wither up and die again. So similarly, we need to see that we are part of the complete whole. We're part of the Supreme Lord. We're one of his energies. And in being one of his energies, we are prakriti. We are, we are all feminine by nature. And he is the Supreme Purusha. It is our duty in our position as a subordinate prakriti to serve him, to please him. And in that way, We'll be fully nourished and pleased. It's in a relationship between a man and a woman. A woman is automatically cared for, given nice domicile, when there is a sense of, of community in the household. And Prabhupada goes on and explains that in the Bhagavad Gita, we are going to understand the complete conception of the supreme absolute truth, comprising of... And we've already talk, talked about the five, five main subjects of Bhagavad Gita, which are Very good. Wow. Now, explain them. Ishvara is the supreme controller. Deva is the control of the living entity. Prakriti is material nature. Kala is eternal time and karma is Activity. All of these taken together, Prabhupada says, <coughs> in the paragraph beginning we shall find, all of these taken completely form the complete whole. And the complete whole is called the supreme absolute truth. Complete whole is everything. It's everything together. <coughs> the Lord is, is not without his potencies, his energies. And those energies are are not only his personal form, Satchitananda Vigraha, Vigraha means form, he has his spiritual form, but also his potencies, the separated material energy, the not separated living entities, he discusses this in Bhagavad Gita, material energy, time, and karma. These five together are referred to as the supreme absolute truth. And then in the next paragraph, Prabhupada gives some indication of what is the proper understanding of the conception of Brahman. Now in Vedic literature, much, much emphasis is given to the Brahman, the supreme Brahman. It's there again and again and again. And unfortunately, there is a class of transcendentalists 
who accept that supreme energy of the Lord as being in and of itself the complete whole. And they don't see the source of that energy. Prabhupada explains, Brahman is more explicitly explained in the Brahma Sutra to be like the rays of sunshine. In other words, we must see that the, the energy has a source, just as we must see that the light and heat from the sun has its source in the sun. He goes on in that paragraph, this, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is called Satchitananda Vigraha. The Brahma Samhita begins in this way, Isvara Parama Krishna, Satchitananda Vigraha, Anadiradir Govinda Sarvakarna Karna. Govinda Krishna is the cause of all causes. He is the primeval cause, and he is the very form of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. Next paragraph, he brings out the point of Nicho Nichanam Chaitanas Chaitananam. There's so many living entities. There's greater and lesser living entities than yourself, no matter what level you're on. We see that in our day-to-day life. We have a better position than some, and not quite as good as some others. That's there throughout the whole material creation. The Vedas give us the conception, nitya nitya nam chaitanas chaitanam, that the supreme eternal amongst all eternals, that is the supreme personality of Godhead. There's many eternals, many eternals. We are eternal. Never was there a time when we did not exist. Krishna explains in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita. But that supreme eternal, that is the Lord. If he is formless or if he is less than any other thing, then he cannot be the complete whole. The complete whole must have everything within our experience and beyond our experience. Otherwise, it cannot be complete. Prabhupada is bringing this out in order to refute that conception that Brahman is the ultimate, that impersonal energy cannot be without personality. Otherwise, it would be less than even ourselves who have personality. We note that one of the biggest pitfalls, and we've discussed this, and there will be no end to this discussion, is the fact that this class of transcendentalists that accept the supreme energy without an energetic source, that accept merging in that energy as the ultimate objective of transcendental realization, without looking beyond that effulgent spiritual energy to the person behind it. These two schools of thought are in constant competition, the personless and the impersonless. It's a great pitfall for the living entity to be influenced by this impersonal conception. It is so powerful, this impersonal conception of the Supreme, that even for the practicing Vaishnav, who knows better, Simply by associating with that class of men who propound that philosophy, we can become bewildered. What is that? Better to be in a cage with a... Tigers, uh, you know, uh, there's 
there is two different verses. One one is talking about tigers and you know alligators. Another is talking about the cage and the fire. Then associating with you know. For our spiritual life, it is that serious of a matter. That's what the acharyas say. It's that serious to associate with this impersonless class of men. And especially now in this new age, everything goes hodgepodge, philosophically void. We have to be very careful. Unless we're extremely powerful in our Krishna consciousness, there's a possibility we'll lose our standing in our spiritual life if we're not careful about this association. Prabhupada continually emphasizes throughout his purports, all of his books, again and again, understand the complete absolute truth in all five aspects. Interesting enough, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu displays himself in five aspects of the various classes of devotees, his different energies. That's for another discussion. Prabhupada makes a good point here, huh? If God's formless, that means he's less than the creation. How can he be God then? If he's less than anything that's manifested from his potency, if he doesn't have a personality and we do, then how can you, why, then what's the position of God? Interesting point. Next paragraph. The complete whole personality of God has immense potencies. Parashya saktir vividaya we have to understand, God has different potencies and this Brahman effulgence, this spiritual effulgence, is one of those potencies, just as the light and heat of the sun is one of the potencies of the sun. He ends that paragraph with an interesting little point. All sorts of incompleteness are experienced due to incomplete knowledge of the complete. If we're seeing incompleteness in the world, we're seeing incompleteness in ourselves. If any place you're seeing incompleteness, things aren't perfect. Where you're not seeing perfection, it's because you're not in perfect knowledge. Does that make sense? If you see everything perfectly, according to the Supreme Lord's vision, and how do we get his vision? Yes. Spiritual knowledge. Now, Prabhupada goes on to explain that spiritual knowledge. Paragraph begins, all Vedic knowledge is infallible. Incompleteness is experienced when we're not seeing things the way God sees them. Now God's way of seeing things is expressed through the Vedic knowledge. Anything we're not seeing is perfect is because our knowledge is not perfect. So now Prabhupada goes on to say, now, let me tell you where you can get perfect knowledge and see everything perfectly. See everything complete. See everything without fault. And he goes on to explain the essence of knowledge in the Vedas and the characteristics of Vedic knowledge. Vedic knowledge is free of, as we were speaking earlier today, before the Japa class, four things, which are... Delusion, delusion mistakes, imperfect senses, and cheating propensity. Yes. When we're on this plane of existence and we're trying to enjoy, exploit this for our sense enjoyment, first of all, the vehicle comes with imperfect senses. 
The material body does not have perfect perception. It's limited. We have perfect perception. Spirit soul is perfect and complete. But when we take on a material body, which is simply for enjoyment on this plane in an exploitive way, then we're covered over. We're covered over by ignorance, avidya. And therefore, our perceiving power becomes imperfect in this environment. This vehicle makes the perceiving power imperfect. The modes of material nature interfere. The Vedas are free of that. The imperfect senses will never give us perfect knowledge. The material senses, we have to understand, will never give us perfect knowledge. And because they're not perfect, we're an illusion. This is the world of illusion. I think I'm the most powerful. I think I'm the most beautiful. I think I'm the richest. I think the whole world revolves around me. We're an infinitesimal, tiny spiritual particle in a body in one planet, in a huge universe, where there's billions and billions of living entities, but I'm thinking, I'm the center of it all. It's all here for me. Everybody around me is dying. I'm not going to die. We become so illusioned in this material world. We think like this. And our nature is we like to take easy way. We have a tendency to cheat. Imperfect senses, illusion, tendency to cheat. What's the fourth? What am I missing? Yeah, it's the fourth one. Huh? Illusion, mentioned illusion. Yeah. Illusion, imperfect senses, mistakes. Well, it's obvious. Yeah. I didn't, why would I, I wouldn't want to remember that. I'm perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I don't make mistakes. (laughs) So Vedic knowledge is that different. It's coming directly from the Supreme. It's coming down purely unadulterated. And Prabhupada explains how it comes down. It comes down in parampara through the chain of selfless, self-realized spiritual masters. Beginning with Lord Brahma, the creator of the universe, who is the head of one of four bona fide sampradayas or chains of pure knowledge. One's from Brahma, one is from Lord Shiva, One is from Lakshmi, and one is from the four Kumaras, great saints. Were they Brahma's firstborn? Kumaras? Were they the first? I believe so. Yeah. Now, there's a certain terminology for this knowledge. It's coming, this knowledge coming from the Supreme Lord. Aparusaya. Is that the right pronunciation? Aparusaya. Aparusaya. Good word to learn. Aparusaya. Aparusaya. Parusaya. Is here in the text? Yes. Aparusaya. That's transcendental vibration coming from the spiritual plane. That is the whole basis of knowledge which will allow us Freedom from this material plane of existence. That sound vibration coming from the transcendental plane, Aparusaya. The Lord is called Aparusaya, meaning that they are different from words spoken by a person of the mundane world 
who is infected with four defects. And we just went over the right. four defects. Right. The words spoken by the Lord are, call, are called aparousia, free of the four defects. And then Prabhupada goes on and ends the paragraph. With the four defects, with these four imperfections, one cannot deliver perfect information of all pervading knowledge. Prabhupada goes on, the on in the explanation and then kind of brings it to an end by explaining that at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna agreed to abide by the word of the, the instruction of the Lord, his transcendental instruction. Karishye Vachanam Tava, Bhagavad Gita 1873. Remember after Krishna said, have you heard everything I've said? Yeah. Are you fully convinced? Prabhupada the Purport says, Krishna would be willing to go back to the very beginning and explain the whole thing again if necessary. That's the tolerance and compassion of the Guru. So he asks Arjuna this question. You got it? You understand? Yeah. You see it? We're seeing eye to eye here? And that was how Arjuna responded. Krishye Vachanam Tava. I shall act according to your word. What kind of word? Parushay. Not defective in any way. That's how we accept Krishna's Vedas, the Vedas. That's how we accept the instruction of the spiritual master. All coming from the transcendental plane, free of material contamination. Prabhupada goes on to introduce the concept of eternal versus mundane religiosity by explaining the nature of the eternal spiritual sky, the eternal engagement of the living entity. He introduces the term Sanatan Dharma, or the sky, the Sanatan, the supreme personality in the Sanatan living entities. The whole purpose of Bhagavad Gita, the whole purpose is to revive our sanatan occupation or sanatan dharma. Now we have dharma activity here on this plane. Our dharma is. I want to whatever our whatever dharma we accept. We all on this plane have our own defective dharmas, full of mistakes. <laughs> In perfect senses, tendency to cheat, illusion. So Sanatan Dharma, our eternal religion, our eternal relationship, that does not go away. I can be a Christian one day and a Hindu the next, or a Jew. Sometimes in order to pull off a marriage, I have to change my religion. Or to save your life. To save your life. Yes, yeah, in India, they had to when the Muslims would come in, they would take over areas of India and they, they'd force, they'd force the inhabitants who were not Muslims, you become a Muslim or off with your head. They'd sprinkle water on them. It was e that easy to convert them. Little water from their water pot. And the Brahmins, the Hindus would immediately, oh, I'm contaminated, I must, might as well be a, might as well be a Muslim now. Nothing I can do about it. The water's hit me. Sanatan Dharma does not change that easily. It does not change it ever, at all. It's eternal. That's what the word Sanatan means. Right. 
Dharma means occupational engagement. The Supreme Lord and his transcendental abode are both sanatan, as are the living entities and the combined association of the Supreme Lord and the living entities in the sanatan abode is the perfection of human life. The perfection of human life. That's it. There's no ask, other aspiration for us than to be in our eternal engagement sanatan dharma, our eternal engagement in love with the Supreme Lord. That's it. Anything else we think <laughs> is our objective in existence is an illusion. It's illusory. It's based on this imperfect, no matter what it is, whether it be a conception of material life, whether it be a conception of merging into the Brahman, whether it be a conception of going to the heavenly planets, Whatever conception of life we have, which we may call our religion or our occupation, if it does not have as its objective entering into our eternal nature of service to the Supreme Lord, it's of no significance. It is temporary. It will eventually end. It will never, never fully satisfy us. We must know that as a fact. Prabhupada goes on to really drive the point home. The English word religion is a little different from sanatan dharma. Religion conveys the idea of faith, and faith may change. One may have faith in a particular process, and he may change this faith and adopt another. But sanatan dharma refers to that activity which cannot be changed. I've spoken a lot about faith. I quote a verse a lot. Atra shraddha tata sadhu sangho kriya. It's the first step in our devotional process too. Religion conveys the idea of faith and faith may change. How do we reconcile this? Sri Rupa's instruction from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Atta shraddha tata sadhu sangho and also when we come to the stage of Nista, that's called firm faith. How do we reconcile that with this concept of faith being something that can change? Well, is faith in Krishna and Sanatana and Dharma? Or the Lord, faith in the Lord? I mean, isn't that all? Christians say they have faith in the Lord. Hindus, Muslims. Okay. Judaism. Judaism. Huh? Of the Christian faith. But if they switched their religion, they would still have faith in the Lord. And well, they might become an impersonalist. So, what is that faith that Rupa is talking about, and what's what's the what's the distinguishing factor of that faith? Yeah. That shraddha, Atta shraddha. Shraddha means faith. What is the distinguishing factor of the great Goswami? This, this, is, this is the deliverer of our Sampradaya. And he speaks of faith being the beginning of our devotional practice. And here Prabhupada talks about faith may change. What is the distinction of Rupa Goswami's faith? 
This is important for us. If we're going to be Krishna conscious, if we're going to accept this, this... What's the distinguishing factor? Yes. Not between what someone believes, what someone believes, but the actual nature of the faith. Yes. What's the distinguishing factor? It has to be the afterlife, you know, where we end up. It's either can be heaven or hell, or heavenly planets or so on. Period. Spirit things. Spirit things. Go ahead. Okay. My my understanding is that uh, uh, you know acharyas they are talking about faith in the process. There is little different faith. You know the understanding of the faith which Rupa Goswami was giving, giving is little different than than faith like you know Christianity or the you know, because. And either you are Christian, Muslim, or, or whoever you want to be, uh, you need to have faith in the process. And the process is that you need to, first you are developing, you know, conviction that, you know, all this, this path will lead me to the, to the, how to say, proper place. Later you are associating with the people who follow it. Later you are practicing, and so on, so on, so on. So that, uh, I think that the, the English word of faith doesn't have enough Distinction as Shraddha. As Shraddha. You know, and, and because of that, you know, we can be a little bit confused, but I think that these are completely two different things. What, what do we call this Krishna consciousness? Something very unique. It's something that always attracted me. The Krishna consciousness. Science. Yes. Not a religion of spiritual science. Yes. The science of self-realization. Science of self-realization. If I have faith, that I mix a certain amount of oxygen and a certain amount of hydrogen together, mm -hmm. I'll be able to create an ocean, add a little salt, got to spice <laughs> things up. I love that salt. Sometimes <laughs> you need salt. I was in a retreat. Anyway. Um, Spiritual science. So that's... Yes. Yeah. Our faith is the beginning. Right. But the beginning of faith takes us to what? An experiment. And the experiment will give us what? A tangible experience. result. Tangible experience. And where's the tangible result of the great Goswami's text lead? It takes us through what? We've gone through the stages. We've discussed this. Shraddha, associating with devotees, sadhus, Following the process, vajana kriya, chanting, reading, observing festivals, taking prasadam. Anartha nivriti, the heart is cleansed. I know the heart's cleansed. I can feel something happening. Right. I'm throwing off things. Right. The desires aren't dragging me around. I'm able to control myself. Anarthas are falling away. Well, that's why I said experience. Nis right, nista. But I, let's go all the way. Where does it end? Nista. I become steady in my practice. My steadiness gives me a taste of my true spiritual aspiration. My true spiritual nature. That gives me a real attraction. I develop a true attraction for the Lord and His various characteristics. And that attraction takes us to what? An emotional 
exchange, an emotional experience of the Supreme, which is outside of. What did we speak at the, when the verse of Sixastica? It's outside of my own control. I'm crying uncontrollably. me. My hair, I can't, my voice is faltering. I'm experiencing spiritual, spiritual emotion, which is far exceeding anything that I've ever enjoyed on the material platform. Then I realize I'm separated from Krishna. And I, I'm, I'm devastated. Thousands of years a moment is seeming. Thousands of years. Every moment that I'm not with Krishna and seeing Krishna, that separation is, is practically unbearable. And where's it end? Bhava. The highest position of loving exchange that we can have with the Supreme Lord in one of five primary relationships. That's the faith of the of the Krishna consciousness movement. Verifiable. Verifiable, first of all, for us, because we're not pure enough. Verifiable through the verses of Shastra. Everybody that's followed this process has experienced this. Amazingly enough, when they see Vishnu, they all say, he looks like this. The complexion of a ribbon cloud wearing shark earrings, the goddess of fortune on his chest, a garland surrounded by humming bumblebees. <laughs> they all see the same God. Their realizations are all the same. That's how we first learn this is what God... Now when we see God, all that... <laughs> It's got to be like this little thing. And then there's God. We know, we heard a little bit about it, but now we see him and that, that, that is our aspiration. But at least as far as the limited ability of the written word and the transcendental sound vibration coming from the lips of Krishna's devotees who have experienced him, his pure devotees, they're giving us some, some lantern. The lantern can light the way. Once we reach the destination, <laughs> we won't need it anymore. Sanatan Dharma, eternal religion, not just a faith, an experience. An experience that begins with a little faith. I'm hearing, wow, this philosophy is better than all the others I've heard so far. Let me go a little deeper. Oh, there's a sod. There's a man that I can see is of a higher character. The quality of this man is is of a, of a is on a different plane than the common man. He has characteristics that are amazing. He has no attraction. He's able to control his senses effortlessly. Control his tongue. Control all of his senses. Control his mind. Whoa. What a thing. Then, maybe I could do that. Bhajana Kriya. <laughs> Let me chant. Let me read. Let me associate with this group of devotees. Let me serve them. Let me try this. 
See if it fits. If we try it, and we have enough sakriti, enough spiritual piety to stick with it long enough, we'll see. Everything else will come. And we will experience what we read of. We will experience what we see in the life of the sadhu. We will ultimately experience the shedding of tears. We will ultimately feel complete devastation and separation from Krishna. This is our aspiration. This is the science of Krishna consciousness. This is not a faith based on something that's a little bit illusory. I'll stop there. Any questions? I have a question not about what we're talking about. Let's stick to the subject for a minute. Okay. Anyone? <laughs> All right. We're off topic. <laughs> Can you go over that, uh, that sheet of paper that I found on the internet? The silence or that notation in the diary? This diary was kept by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami when he was aboard the Jaladuta, traveling to the... Jaladuta was a freight liner. Mm -hmm. They gave him a little cabin in the freight liner. During his travel from India to the United States, he was already 69 years old. So he was also already an old, older gentleman, a great devotee. And he went through some tests. <laughs> mm -hmm. Some uh, He practically lost his life. He had two heart attacks. Mm -hmm. This notation that you pulled up is he had not written in the diary for a few days. So one would naturally question, my gosh, why no diary entries? So we can see that no diary entries. And finally, finally he writes... Between August 25th, 65, and August 30th, the Jalatuda Journal, his diary, falls silent for six days. On the seventh day, August 31st, the silence is broken with these simple words. Passed over a great crisis on the struggle of life and death. So, Prabhupada had experienced a he practically had left his body and at the end of that period six days wasn't even firm enough to write we can imagine alone in the hull of a ship in the little cabin by himself Does that answer your question? Yeah, wow